And good morning and welcome to London, where I'm delighted to be running a webinar with uh, Phil Cooper and Chris Dyson on the Paternoster Pavilion, showcasing new ideas for sustainable design in one of London's most historic locations. We'll be going over that in some detail and you'll get a handle on it, but Paternoster Square, as many of you will know, is located just to the north of St. Paul's, uh, a very famous place, but more famous in many ways because Temple Bar, which had been removed uh, from the Strand was returned there uh, some years ago. But uh, as architects, they'll know a lot more than I about how that all happened. Anyway, uh, you'll know me. I'm Michael Minelli. I'm one of the directors of Zen. And it really is a privilege to be able to introduce so many of these webinars. And I can only do so because of what I call the tolerance and wide ranging interests of our sponsors who allow us to range widely and freely across anything to do with uh, technology, economics, and finance. So you might be thinking, uh, what the heck has a uh, uh, a pavilion in the center of the city of London got to do with technology, economics, and finance. Well, actually, it's all about sustainability. And I might point out that while we normally have a little ask for uh, people on these webinars, normally to engage your brain cells, uh, in this particular case, uh, both Chris and Phil are interested also in people who might be intrigued in getting involved in the project, perhaps sponsoring the project, uh, perhaps some sort of green energy company, what have you. So. Uh, listen up and see if you can help. Uh, but first, uh, what are we going to do today? So the agenda is fairly straightforward for those of you who have been on these webinars before. My job is to get out of the way as quickly as possible. I'll hand over to Phil, we'll make a short introduction, then hand over to Chris, but we're hoping to keep 20 minutes or so for Q&A. Uh, and that is the, the best part about these webinars, a chance to engage uh, with our special guests. Uh, three quick points, if I may. Firstly, uh, the slides are posted and will be posted and are up there. Secondly, yes, this is being recorded and it will probably be up late tomorrow. So you can watch it over the weekend with some popcorn, friends, family, have the neighbors around. Uh, it is quite that way. Uh, and then finally, if I might, uh, if I might add, please do participate in the Q&A. This is a very interesting one and you're talking to two leading architects who know what they're doing. Uh, so good questions uh, are always welcome as well as observations and comments. But would you please use the GoToWebinar go to question facility um, because I'm here with you, so I'm not on Signal or Teams or anything else uh, or email. Uh, I won't get to later, but I'll feed those into the conversation uh, with Phil and Chris. All of your questions uh, will be sent to Phil and Chris with your email attached. And if you in some way would like to get directly in touch with them, just type in, I would like to talk to Phil or Chris or both, and they will receive that. So uh, enough of the housekeeping, on to the, on to the webinar. And before we start, just one quick question, which is going to become quite relevant. How much CO2 does the average home in the UK emit through heating, just heating every year? Uh, and it's important because Chris wants to get your brains engaged about the amounts. Um, Chris and Phil, um, I don't think you know the audience that well, but uh, very opinionated or, or very strong-minded or very informed is fairly typical of the FS Club audience. So over 60% have voted. I'm just going to leave that open for just a second or two longer. Uh, and okay, we're well up to three quarters of the audience and we're going to display the results. So the audience uh, is pretty split really on 2.7, 4.7 or 10.7. Actually though, 2.7 wins by a pip. And as is so frequent, the FS Club audience is right. The answer <laughs> is 2.7. Uh, although folks, we were leaving it a little bit fine today. Anyway, I'll get out of the way now, and I'd like to hand over to Phil. Phil, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Michael. Good morning. Um, 
it's my pleasure today to introduce architect Chris Dyson, who will take the reins from me as master of the livery company of architects in the City of London at the end of September. Now, as a response uh, to the request from the City Climate Action Strategy Group, quite a mouthful, but that's the group of, in the city um, that are trying to address the, uh, uh, the COP26 targets and time frame, uh, of which our company is a member. Chris proposed the idea of promoting a competition for a temporary pavilion to showcase an eco-house that would be achievable in terms of, of the existing homes of the public at large. Usually when we think of an eco-house, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, it is more than likely that insulated, solar-powered, new building, or maybe an old building, recycled for a new use comes to mind. But what the Paternoster Pavilion sets out to address and demonstrate is, however, more than that. Indeed, it will offer practical and financially achievable solutions to the urgent need of transforming our huge existing underperforming housing stock, the homes actually that most of us live in, and, can, and actually transform them from energy wasting burdens into desirable and sustainable low energy assets that achieve rather than hinder COP26's targets and time frame. We've secured the necessary finance from the Corporation of London for the competition itself. And now we are looking to the green finance industry to help us construct a winning pavilion of ideas in 2023. So now over to you, Chris. Thank you, Phil. Um, if we could have um, the first slide, please. Today I'm present, presenting you an idea that showcases new ideas for sustainable design in, London, in one of London's most historic locations, Paternoster Square, near St Paul's. The benefits, the catalyst for the initiative has been the Mayor of the City of London's Climate Action Strategy, as Phil has pointed out, along with the WCCA ongoing sustainability theme. The city has a history of enlightened patronage, and when it comes to environmental leadership and design, the square mile features some of the UK's most advanced buildings and is home to world leaders in green finance. The Architects Company aims to unite the two while showcasing its public activities and role in promoting high quality architecture. I will introduce the competition, the remarkable site and the opportunity for leaders in sustainable finance to get involved. Just briefly, the milestones we've achieved so far We've had this considered by the City of London and the owners of Paternoster Square, and they all support it. In fact, they are financing the actual competition running, which is a relatively small sum. If approved in principle, then it um, will identify the specifics of the site, and that has also been identified, as you'll see later. Our next and most biggest challenge, if you like, is to raise the finance from green funders and organisations to realise this competition. The door is wide open to investors to sponsor the competition, which will be organised by the London Festival of Architecture, which is an established arch architectural organisation that reaches out to the public and the architect's livery, in association with the nearby Temple Bar Trust, which Michael touched on, is uh, our new home as an architect's company in the City of London. 
So I'm going to canter through this opportunity and look forward to hearing your thoughts. Next slide, please. Ideal homes and pavilions have been built many times over. This example by Jean Prouvé was at the time produced um, when he was preoccupied by industrial production to solve a, solve a global housing crisis. Building cheaply and efficiently using modular construction was his idea back in 1966. This slide shows it recreated in 2016 outside Tate Modern, and which it then travelled on to other cities around the globe. Next slide, please. It provided an excellent opportunity uh, for the corporate funders to um, provide fundraising events and to spread the knowledge about uh, this form of construction. Next slide. But it's, as, as has been mentioned, it's about the type of homes we already live in. The apartment, the terrace, existing homes account for 90% of our population and often have inadequate insulation, ventilation, heating and cooling systems. Many of us live in houses with traditional street patterns, rhythms, craftsmanship, and often they're extremely long lasting, which is a obviously sustainable aspect in its own right. Next slide, please. So why tackle this? It's about the climate and climate change as we know it. And as Bob Dylan sang, you don't need to be a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Climate is a huge, all-embracing and urgent subject, and this pavilion is an opportunity to show people how they can improve their homes and help save the planet. Next slide. To provide an exemplar exhibit to stimulate thought and illustrate how people might embrace new technologies in their own homes, to reduce the cost of living and save our planet. Next slide. To construct a temporary exhibit, the Winnings Consortium Exemplar Pavilion um, will be located in this wonderful location as a public exhibit and an educational resource, which will be backed up by the Temple Bar's educational facilities to promote a positive action to mitigate climate change and to encourage financing of greenhousing and communities, building sustainability presents a fresh challenge, thinking about the source of our materials and their longevity. I am reminded, for example, of Michael's talk, Sticks and Stones, that perhaps building even in new stone is not as expensive as it might first appear. Next slide. Where? The site is in the southeastern corner of Paternoster Square, behind the chapter house here, and the bottom left, and with the backdrop of St Paul's Cathedral. On the right, Temple Bar, as you can see, our new architectural livery hall, both, acknowledged as master, both are acknowledged as masterpieces in stone by the architect Sir Christopher Wren, who celebrates his 300th year since his death in, in 2023, which is the same year this pavilion will go in. Next slide. So nearby, the site of Temple Bar will offer the investor in the competition the opportunity to show and tell the world and educate school parties and the general public about the pavilion and its green credentials. The Wren Room on the bottom right 
um, above the arch and the lecture hall top right in the courtroom on the right are accessible through Paternoster Lodge. And while the brief is highly flexible, the starting point is the house. Architects are being asked to consider living, dining, kitchen, bedroom and circulation spaces. The pavilion is intended to explore new ways of building, the challenge of participants to combine new architecture with the latest technologies to create a memorable, inspiring structure. With its high profile location in the shadow of St Paul's, the project is expected to draw an impressive calibre of submissions and attract national and international attention. The pavilion will be installed for three months in 2023 and is likely to be welcome to 100,000 visitors and could be relocated to other cities as part of a touring programme. Next slide. The footprint of the site is indicated red in this slide. is a bit is as big as the Temple Bar and Paternoster Lodge combined, with some 23 by 28 metres along the two sides of a triangle, and directly associated with the open space. The limit is, uh, on, limits on loading and heights and power and excess are all clear and defined. And so we have been in good discussions with the owners of the square. Next slide. Concerts and a whole program of events are frequently curated at the square. And this pavilion will complement that activity in the bottom right. Um, I imagine that saying something along the lines of the tour was a real treat and we were left with the exhibition, we left the exhibitions pavilion and stepped out into the warm balmy evening the city seemed to have come alive with people out of, on the pavements, drinking and celebrating together after being cooped up for two years in the pandemic. Might be a common enough experience. The city seems to be returning to a new form of itself, trimmer perhaps and more nimble, but is still as dynamic. And one of the great draws of work, working in the city of London is its architecture. And this temporary exhibition could be a welcome addition. Next slide. As we said, the initial discussions with the owners of Paternoster Square have already taken place and we could use this location. It is uh, designed to be realized through an open competition led by the London Festival of Architecture in association with our architects company and would be open to design supplier and lead, lead consortiums employing the use of UK registered architects. The budget um, which is obviously to be confirmed and might end up being confidential. Um, we imagine would need to be in excess of half a million plus professional and local authority fees, depending on the look, uh, dwelling size. And this would include the full running and operational facilities while open to the public and responsibility, responsibility for security erection and removal. Importantly, the competition will be judged by a respected panel, um, including the London Festival of Architecture, the Architects Company, and of course, the Green Sector Investor or Investors, and will be um, nationally and internationally recognised, we hope. Next slide. So we want this to be an exemplar of, of sustainability, but the exact scope and understanding of this, we would like to be specific to the concept of the entrance scheme. For example, the design might address super local sourcing, 
efficient building fabric, low operational and embodied carbon, recyclability, reducing plastic waste, social health and well-being, or a combination of these issues. The key criteria we'll be judging against are the following. The sustainability concept and agenda for the project is, it is, and how it's tackling it, and its relevance to the ongoing dialogue about climate emergency. Key targets the project will need to achieve are derived from a sustainability concept of some of which ideally should be in hard numerical metrics. We'll also assess it on the proposed design and construction and the way it meets these targets. We would stress that we are open to the precise type of sustainable development the project would explore, but would expect the very highest outcomes based on your chosen direction of investigation. Next slide. So the programme. We imagine the following four-step programme. Um, Q3, September this year, competition funding achieved, and we go through um, a few sources, um, including our SIL funding for the competition and the green finance to support it. In January next year, we imagine uh, appointing uh, design consortiums with an installation in April 2023. And then the exhibition would be able to be in place um, and active for three months, potentially traveling to other major cities in the UK throughout 23 um, and onwards. The jury to be selected would obviously be in a two-stage competition, um, an open call, initial expressions of interest for consortiums, including young talented architects and other livery companies and, uh, and other um, green finance um, industries. And this would then be promoted using national and local press uh, facilities. So that open call will create a long list and then the short list will be created um, following that long list selection by the jury to create three selected teams, which would then be asked to provide initial proposals, including all practical steps for implementation. And then of course, a winner announced and the whole thing um, would be completed. Next slide. So I leave this slide as the holder, but we're just to recap, we're looking for a, a funder. Um, it will provide a wonderful facility for um, press and PR to promote this um, very important aspect. And it will affect all of the buildings that we live and work in um, and particularly live in in this country and um, would have far reaching implications for everyone. Thank you very much. Chris, that was excellent. And Phil, uh, do feel free to come back and join us if you wish. Um, Chris, uh, there are uh, quite a few questions here, uh, which is good. And uh, please yeah. do keep uh, filling in the questions, comments, observations. I'll start, if I might, um, with uh, Chris Bicknell. Is there a benefit to have additional exhibit space in Temple Bar to augment the pavilion? Uh, for example, other entries and other background contexts? Yes, I think I think we would be um, very open to a, a complete sort of um, uh, open dialogue about how we achieve the the decision of the winning entry, 
and exhibit the other ideas because I think um, that become there may be other aspects in other schemes which are extremely relevant mm -hmm. and I think um, that, that, that the facilities are there definitely yeah. I mean do, do you have a you know as an architect you must have an idea to yourself of things that you think would be interesting you know if you were if you were one of the entrants what would you submit well, I would make. I would be keen to make a striking. It's an exhibition piece. Uh, you want to make something striking and that will draw the people to the space. And some of these visuals we've created, we've shown in slides, do illustrate that. I think, but it would need to be unique and not something that somebody's seen before. And so and that would draw people to it, and and they can then see uh, through um, their own senses how these spaces could work, how we could heat, how we could insulate, how we could better um, create um, our homes for the future from existing stock and from new build. Um, do you see, see, this is very much residentially focused, is that correct? It is, it is primarily residentially focused, yes. Yeah. And your focus as well is on existing stock as opposed to brand new well i think we're open to both in fact but it's okay. a lot it's a lot easier michael i think to create shiny new homes than it is yeah. uh to rework the existing and since most of us live like 90 percent of us live in existing buildings a lot of them even listed which is another <laughs> criteria um which needs to be met um so it can be a real challenge and i think we need to help illustrate how people can overcome these challenges yeah it's it's interesting you know I was, as a kid i spent a lot of time in america obviously and certainly one of the things that it, it was i lived through things like the what was it disney's experimental plan city of tomorrow epcot and the various homes that were put together before epcot was even conceived in california uh, by Disney, just as an example of the many ways that we've seen this futuristic bit, but it is different in Europe. Uh, and we, you know, I think it was Tamaris Kaufman at uh, UCL's Bartlett School who pointed out to me some time back that uh, the existing stock at the at the current rate of replacement of existing stock in Britain, it's going to take us nearly 2,000 years. So we've really got to do the retrofit. I guess is probably the the point to be made. Um, Hugh Purser. Uh, is here, you know, do you think that there generally is too much focus on new ways of building and new architecture rather than simple ways to introduce new technologies uh, to the current housing stock? Does the press get carried think, away, for example? Yeah, I, I think, I think, I mean, I, my preoccupation as an architect uh, as practice, in practice is often working with listed buildings and um, uh, historic buildings and uh, buildings in conservation areas so yes I think I think there is an awful lot of um, uh, attention given to new build um, but actually the existing stock has got uh, you know all the embodied carbon uh, is already there and all we need to do is to layer up a, a more efficient way of using those buildings and it mm -hmm. can be it can be extremely creative and interesting it, it, and the best minds in architecture are already tackling this um in many ways in the ways we work and the ways we live and i think um this is an opportunity to display that um i think yeah it's a great opportunity um, liz thrussell um who does a lot with the it company is uh, curious about uh, the weight here are these going to be theoretical designs or are you going to only allow people who've pretty much got 
proven technologies and materials. Uh, and she's also curious as to whether or not this is one um, design, or are you going to try and handle many? Uh, it will be one design that's chosen to be built, and it will be real. Uh, it won't be theoretical. Um, we'll be hoping to tap into those uh, green energy sector to find the best um, uh, systems for heating our homes to illustrate that in physical reality in the exhibition pavilion. Um, the, the actual provider of windows, the actual provider of insulation, um, all the rest of the fabric of the construction of our homes um, will be sourced and illustrated in physical reality uh, so that people can touch and feel it and understand it and read about it and even go to Temple Bar to uh, learn from some of the product providers about their products and how they can be um, used within their um, own homes. Okay. Um, Eldred Harrington is curious about where you see passive house standards in your competition. Well, obviously passive house standards have been a great, great standard to date and continue to be so. Um, I think we would obviously refer to them, but I think the pavilion itself won't necessarily have to conform to that kind of construction. It's an illustration exhibition pavilion and it will be open to the elements. So. Um, uh, and it needs to be safe. So, yeah, I mean, of course, it will adopt those things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth Wrigley um, was reminded uh, by my comments about uh, Ray Eames's work uh, uh, as well, which is, of course, uh, well known to many of us. Um, but uh, she's curious is this just the structure, or where do interiors fit into this? It is uh, an exhibit you would walk through. And so interiors are an integral part of it. Um, we, as architects, are usually very engaged with the interior uh, design of a project. And um, I think this would be no different. We would probably use the interior very much to display and exhibit um, all those aspects of the pavilion and its sustainability objectives. Mm -hmm. Um, and Liz, again, how, how much is cost going to be a criteria on this? I mean, you know, we, we've all seen wonderful gold-plated designs that nobody can afford. So, in your competition, where, where does cost sit? Well, I think I think um, in terms of the pavilion, it's an exhibition pavilion which will have its own cost and associated running costs. Yeah. So, but in terms of the cost of the items that um, that go into the future of uh, our established homes. Um, the, I, I imagine that we can be able to, the exhibitor should be able to identify what um, a four bedroom home might cost to heat if it was in a traditional brick construction, for example, or if it was in uh, an apartment building. Um, uh, you know, what the costs of those elements will be important um, to illustrate to people, because obviously that, that helps them inform decisions. Um, an interesting point here um, uh, from uh, Chris Bicknell again. Given the location, could we leverage um, you know, deals from local hospitality venue venues, for example, visit and dine packages as part of the sponsorship? Yeah, I think, I think that's what I was alluding to in that, those first two slides uh, at the beginning with um, the pavilion that was by Jean Privet. Um, that moot proved, because it was raised on stilts, in that case, and, and we have the opportunity of height up to 10 meters in our project here. 
um, you can actually create an area underneath the building or within the pavilion that allows for people to congregate and to have lectures and talks, much like the Serpentine does in the Serpentine Gallery here in Hyde Park. Um, and, and also to use, in, in inclement weather, the Temple Bar itself, which has a facility for up to 60 people to sit in a lecture hall arrangement and um, a little room for, anti-room for breakout space. Okay. Um, you know, exhibitions like this have, have always got timing issues. Uh, we all recall things like the London Eye, which, well, maybe we don't recall, but it was going to be a temporary structure, I think, for one year or two years. And uh, we're now 22 years on. <laughs> it's, it's going strong. And nothing wrong with it. I have nothing against the Eye. Um, I might be a little bit more sensitive about Temple Bar getting clogged up with pavilions for a long period of time, but uh, there are a number of comments and questions here. I mean, do you think this is uh, potentially a permanent thing, or no? I think I think, I think sort of a permanent cycling thing. And how much time can you possibly max out from from it? Well, I th I think we've been discussing um, with um, Savills, the managing agent, that it would have three months as an exhibition piece and there is no reason why it couldn't arrive as a volumetric construction or partially volumetric construction which is favored by house builders for example um, and then be lifted up and taken off to another place and another city and so I, I think to answer that question it, it's three months most likely um, and yeah uh, it, it, it's not definitely not going to be a permanent element I think in the eyes of the okay. landholders <laughs> You're going to take a leaf, uh, a leaf out of a Jean Prouvé and do it in seven hours and then move it in seven hours somewhere else. Um, That's it. Yeah. Have you by any chance been in discussions with other um, urban centers that might want to host a kind of a recycled uh, Paternoster Square exhibition? Um, at, at the moment, not yet, but I think it would be relatively easy to, to initiate those discussions, you know, take it up to Scotland, to Edinburgh, to Glasgow. Um, you know, a lot of northern cities in Manchester have great public spaces um, which often put on similar exhibits uh, or concerts or events. So I, I imagine that once we've got it sort of sorted in terms of finance, that should be relatively straightforward. Okay. Uh, Michael Shapiro, who I happen to know is the senior warden of the World Traders, has uh, asked, he's uh, very uh, buzzy about this. This is an amazing and fascinating idea, as well as being relevant. Uh, how will you give it publicity? And once built, why could it not remain permanently? So he's, he too is interested in the permanence. Uh, but I like wow. you it. He thinks it will well, resonate widely, and he promises to bring a World Traders visit. But, uh, but okay. uh, what, what is the publicity um, program? Well, we, we have, with the London Festival of Architecture, um, Peter Murray, who you may well know, and many others may know, is extremely well connected in the world of uh, architectural and construction world. We would use his and, and the uh, London Festival of Architecture as a vehicle to publicize the project. And um, so we would aim to get into the major um, press like the FT um, at weekends and um, various other uh, major national newspapers. Um, and I think once we've got some eye-catching um, visuals, I think that would become the next objective. Yeah. Okay. Um, James Fleck is curious, is there any scope for specific partial designs, for example, just a listed building or 
are you only going to consider full designs? Oh, I would like to think that any of the entries would be able to think about that aspect. So, uh, yeah, and listed building. I mean, I, for example, live uh, in Spitalfields where there are lots of listed buildings and built in 7020 with panelling on the inside. Well, that, that's quite a difficult thing because they're grade two listed. That's a great challenge. But, the, but there may be, I'm not suggesting there is at the moment, but in there may be flexibility in the future to put insulation behind the panelling and not to interrupt the design of the building in any sense or form. We need to be able to be innovative and clever about how we uh, improve the insulation of our buildings. Um, space between the floor cavity is often timber joists in many of our homes, and that cavity can also be insulated. So on a floor-by-floor -floor basis up the building, one can actually um, improve the insulation. And, and one of the biggest places, when I talk to my um, specialist M&E consultants these days is the roof and um, much under insulated and the windows and perhaps there are ways and the city corporation has already given permission on some listed buildings to incorporate micro double glazing for example so that that aspect can be improved. Okay um, got a few more questions uh, any thoughts on the the wider kind of uh, biodiversity and environmental impact as opposed to just carbon emissions? Well, yes, it'd be lovely to embrace those things. And I think we are increasingly in the city adopting the roof space, and the roof of the building as a, uh, a biodiverse environment with brown roofs, green roofs, attracting um, flora and fauna and um, the bees and the wildlife. Uh, I think that would be a, a great addition to any pavilion to highlight those aspects of a building, the, the outside, the roof space, which is often unused by humans, but um, could be great to support the flora and fauna. Yeah. Okay. And another one is, um, I think this is following on the same thread about um, other urban environments within the UK, but what are the international potential, what, what is the international potential for this if it became a roving exhibition? Well, I think that, um, that's a really interesting question. A lot of cities have a lot of existing fabric, which is protected. Even in New York, you've got plenty of conservation areas now. Um, you know, many Italian cities love and preserve their hearts of their old buildings. Um, and I think, you know, this could be extremely relevant to many places around the world. And obviously climate is different in different parts of the world, so it would need to be tackled in a different way. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Kevin Parker has pointed out, you know, we have a maritime climate of, of, of a form and that's not exactly suitable. And of course, that's been one of the issues I know with the passive house uh, movement that we have, have a very different type of climate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. we were here really, we've got a, about five minutes left, Chris, and I'd like to turn to um, your appeal really <laughs> and uh, make the most of it. Um, it sounds to me that some of the audience out here might find it helpful uh, to identify their connections, perhaps with other urban centers in the UK and direct them towards you. Uh, but that's not quite uh, core to what you want. So could you describe the sort of ideal sort of sponsors? You know, who should we be thinking of that might be appropriate for this project? Well, it, it could be um, a major supplier of um, a, a, a building fabric um, could be somebody who makes um, CLT construction combined 
cross-laminated timber construction. It could be somebody who deals in, in stone. It could be somebody who um, works with steel. Um, you know, in terms of the primary structure of the pavilion, it could be one of those, any of, any of those sources. Um, and, and then, of course, it, it could be somebody who's working in the, um, in the energy sector in terms of providing boilers and heaters, heating systems. Um, it could be somebody who's in the, the uh, business of making glazing. Um, uh, any of those kind of construction providers who can see an opportunity for them to help promote their product could also be involved. And um, but it could also just be, um, well, not just be, could could well be a major financer who helps fund large-scale green housing project developments. And so actually that leaves it wider and um, more open in terms of how the consortium team can be assembled. Yeah. I mean, our government is at the moment busy laying windfall taxes on energy providers, but at the same time saying that if they invest, uh, they'll get some offsets. I'm not clear on the details myself, but that's my understanding. Um, are they also a potential sort of uh, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I imagine uh, British Gas or any, any of the major energy suppliers could actually be um, wonderful, uh, wonderful place, particularly if they get tax breaks um, to help fund this and show, show the world what they are actually doing and achieving um, to make a more sustainable environment. And just a reminder uh, to us, I mean, when they enter the project, you mentioned the City of London Corporation, uh, you mentioned the uh, company of architects. Um, who, who else are some of their partners? Well, I think any of the construction liveries, for example, any of the other construction related um, companies in the city, finances, pension funds, who invest in construction could actually um, get involved here, you know, um, and I think it, it, legal in general, Reba, uh, all these people are involved already in uh, funding major housing developments and, and it is an opportunity to, for them to trumpet what they do. But, but when, when somebody says, I'm, I'm interested in exploring potential sponsorship, they'd be working principally with uh, you and the corporate City of London Corporation, or who else? They, they would be working principally with the London Festival of Architecture, um, so they would be the organisers of the competition, responsible for delivering it and the winner. Um, but we would obviously be involved, in, but in the background. Yeah. So they'd be working with the festival, I, I get it then. Yeah. Um, and, and just a, kind of a final question, uh, if anybody on online wishes to get in touch, uh, please do uh, type in uh, that you'd like to talk directly to Chris, and I'll make sure he, he gets that. But Chris, you are the principal point of contact, correct? Yes, I am, yeah. Well, folks, you've heard it. It's been absolutely fascinating. Um, it's an exciting project. I, I love these sorts of things where people are exploring new ways of doing things, and that's uh, very much what our sponsors are about, uh, trying to improve the world in some way through finance and technology. And I think particularly in Europe, although Chris makes an extremely valid point, uh, uh, of uh, there are other older cities around the world, but nevertheless in Europe, we do need to face up to the existing stock at several levels of uh, several levels of magnitude above the new stock as the way to achieve these reductions that we all want by 2050. Um, 
got a, a already got one in there thanking you, Chris, and another one saying uh, wants to wants you to email them, so you'll be getting those uh, quite quickly. But uh, if I could, um, I must thank our sponsors for their tolerance as ever. Um, I'd like to thank the audience. It was a smaller audience today, but I wasn't expecting uh, otherwise. It seems to be a bit more of a local interest than some of the international things that we tackle. But you've been extremely vibrant and helpful. Um, excellent questions and comments. Um, if I could just uh, point you to uh, next week, we are going to be tackling the ESG uh, data problem. My personal view, as many of you know, that ESG is the problem, but we see all views here. And uh, we're going to hear a, a, a vigorous defense of ESG as being the way forward. Uh, and then please do look on the website for all of the other uh, forthcoming events. Now, if I could, um, I'd also like to thank you, Chris, and uh, Phil, I understand you're there in the background. Both of you, it's so kind of you to share this wonderful project. Uh, it's a very inspiring one, and I wish, and I'm sure everybody here on FS Club, wish you the very best in achieving it. And I've already got some comments here of help uh, and assistance. So uh, take care, and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.